Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. I'm honored to be here, so welcome to those of you who are watching online and at Lake County and at Apopka, and it's just great to be here at Journey. I've heard so many great things through the years about this church, and to get to be here is a real thrill for me. Uh, what I remember about John, sometimes I'll call him Johnny, because that's kind of what we called him back in, in Bible colleges. We called him Johnny, and he was a great basketball player. He really was, and I was on the basketball team, and when he, he came his freshman year, I was a year older than he was, we, we tried to talk him into playing uh, on the team, and, and he said no because he wanted to have a weekend ministry. And so early on in his freshman year, he dove right into preaching, and it was great to have a guy in the room right next door who had such a love for preaching and such a humble heart and such a crazy accent as well. Uh, but over time, I learned, to, uh, I learned to understand what he was saying in his Kentucky dialect, and l- little did I know that then I would go on and, and spend the last uh, 30, 32 years of my life uh, in, in Kentucky gaining that accent myself. So uh, it's great to get to spend some time with you all. I got to spend time with John, with Dustin yesterday. I got to be with your elders for three or four hours, and I got to meet a number of you all on my way in today, and I'm just honored, honored to get to be here and uh, have a message that's on my heart today that I hope ties in with maybe where you are as well. I've entitled this message, God, Where Are You? And all of us have experienced frustrating times, those, those times in our life when we have more questions than we have answers. Several years ago, uh, a friend of mine told me about getting stuck at the Fort Myers airport. It's one of those times where flights were canceled, there was lightning, there were storms all around, and so it had kind of shut things down in, in the, the southeast. And as a result of that, there are a lot of different planes and, and flights that were canceled. And so there was a long line of people right in front of a Delta agent, and the Delta agent was trying to efficiently work through one person after another, and everybody was kind of frustrated. But about that time, after everybody had been waiting in this long line, a guy in the back came walking all the way up to the front, and he just stood there right, right next to the lady. And finally, she said, uh, yes. And he said, uh, you need to help me change my flights right now. And she said, well, I'm, I'm working with other customers. If you'll just get in line, then uh, I'll, I'll get to you as soon as I possibly can. Thank you, sir. And the guy said, do you know who I am? And then he said it in a voice loud enough for the entire gate area to hear. Do you know who I am? And the woman didn't bat an eye. She grabbed the intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, evidently we have someone here who does not know who he is. <clears throat> If you have misplaced an adult, you can find him right here at the ticket counter. Put the microphone back, went back. Everybody started clapping. The guy started cussing and walked off, but everybody was thrilled that he got put in his place, right? We love it when somebody gets what they have coming to them. But what about those times when things aren't resolved? What about those times when you feel that someone could intervene on your behalf or show up or stand up or speak up? but they don't. 
and instead they are seemingly absent or silent. I mean, it's, it's one thing when it's a friend or a coworker, but what about those times when the desperate need that you have isn't met? Or those seasons when those prayers you offer just seem to fall on deaf ears? Let me say it another way. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? How do you handle those moments in your life? God, where are you? Lord, why do you allow this pandemic to continue? We've learned our lesson. Let us get back to normal. Lord, why, why, why don't you intervene in all these things that are taking place in our world? I thought you were the God of peace, and now I hear rumors of war with Russia and the Ukraine, and there's racial unrest in our country. There's political polarization. There are differing opinions on masks and vaccines, and something wells up within us, and we want to say, God, where are you? So what's your response when God seems indifferent to your plight or uncooperative to your requests? And if we're being totally honest with one another, we'd all admit that there may be a time or two in our own lives when we question if the one who is running this universe is asleep at the wheel. Now, we would never say that out loud. And yet there are times when those are the thoughts that, that go through our mind. There have been those tearful moments when with a quivering lip, you've glanced heavenward and whispered, where were you when I needed you? Well, today what I want to do is I want to tell you about a family in the Bible. Uh, the story is found in, in John chapter 11. If you want to turn to that and, and I'll be there and meet you there soon. Uh, John 11 had a story about Jesus and some close friends of his. He was a frequent guest at their, their home. Their names were Lazarus. Mary and Martha. There were three siblings. And Lazarus is gravely ill and he lives in Bethany. And Jesus and his disciples are nowhere near Bethany. And in John chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus gets this frantic text message from Lazarus' sisters asking him to return to help their brother who is very sick. And they're calling in a favor since they're so close with Jesus. In other words, hey, you're always healing total strangers. Uh, throw a bone to your family friends here and, and come to help someone out when your best friend is dying. We need you to intervene. And of course he will. He's Jesus, right? He's, he's God in the flesh. Look at verses four and five. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, there are two very unique statements that, that are found in, in that particular verse. Uh, John chooses his words very carefully, and he says, this sickness won't end in death. Trust me on this. And then John, for no apparent reason, interrupts the story to interject that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And this is very typical of John's writings. It has nothing to do with what's going on at that particular moment. It's just randomly inserted there. So the sisters, they request, no, they, they beg for Jesus to come now, when Jesus gets the message, you would think he'd immediately grab his backpack and, and say to his disciples, back to Judea, we better hurry because my bro needs me. Come on, let's go. 
But that's not what happens. And in John 11, the next verse, verse 6 and 7, this is what it says. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So he gets this urgent request to help. And Jesus stays for two more days. And then he says, hey, let's start the journey back. What is going on here? Let's divide this message into three different sections. Here's, Here's the first part. From everyone's perspective, there's waiting. Waiting is taking place. And so while Jesus and his disciples finally start walking, the sisters are waiting back in Bethany. They're waiting for Jesus to return to heal their brother Lazarus, this close friend of Jesus, but he doesn't come. And so they wait and one day becomes two and two days becomes three. And finally, when Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. How are you with a God who makes you wait? How are you with a God who seems to be late at times? Maybe you've been trying to to buy that house, but the market skyrocketed so much in the past year. Now, Now you can't afford it. And so you find yourself waiting. And the weeks have become months, and it seems that God is late. Or maybe your spouse really wants to to start a family and it seems like every other couple can get pregnant just by looking at their spouse, right? (laughs) But but not not you all. And oh, you, you love God, but he sure seems to be taking his time. And extended waiting can lead to discouragement. You know, we spend much of our lives waiting if you really stop and, and think about it. But for all the practice we've had, most of us aren't very good at it. And we certainly would never choose waiting. I mean, nobody walks into a grocery store, gets their stuff, and then stands there and and sizes up the cashiers and says, hmm, that worker looks inept and slow. I think I'll use their line, right? (laughs) No one consciously does that. You don't celebrate when the person in front of you decides to write a check like it's 1985, right? <laughs> well, why is that? Well, it's because we, we don't like to wait. Because in our minds, wait means late, and late is never a good thing. And so we ask for God to intervene. Today, Lord, if you don't mind, fix my marriage. Replace conflict with unity. Heal my aging parents. Transfer my boss. These are purely hypothetical, all right? Because we want what we want, and we want it right now. And so there are times, like here in John chapter 11, where everybody's just just going to have to wait. But after that stage, sometimes it gets a little bit more personal, and it leads to pain. At first, everyone's waiting, but the next section of this story is that from, from your perspective, you're wounded, That's what it feels like. That's what you are experiencing. We find that Christ waiting wounded Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. His decision, or in their mind, his failure to drop what he was doing and return immediately was too painful for these gals to swallow. And so when Jesus finally does arrive at Bethany, Martha comes out to meet him, and she said something to Jesus. And later, when the other sister, Mary, comes out to meet Jesus... She says something to him. Now get this. They're apart from each other, 
Both sisters said the exact same line to Jesus. You know what their first line was? It's recorded in John eleven twenty one 21, and in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, when we read that in a Bible study, we usually read it very sweet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Mary and Martha did not work for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> And personally, I don't think that's how they said it. I, I think that when they said it separately to Jesus, I think there was a bite to it. I think there was frustration and anger and pain. And there was an acknowledgement of being let down. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what they said outwardly, but inwardly their hearts were screaming, where were you? Why didn't you come when we asked you to come? And they waited, and now they are wounded because now it's too late. The psalmist verbalizes how we feel at times when, when he writes in Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, how long, Lord, will, will you forget me forever? How long will, will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then over in Psalm 119, verse 84, David, he just cries out to God and he says, how long must your servant wait? How long, how long? And while you're waiting and while you're wounded, you remain faithful. You keep your focus on Christ. You trust in his timetable, not yours. Now we all will go through lengthy, challenging seasons. Maybe it's emotionally, perhaps it's spiritually. Uh, maybe it's relationally. Uh, sometimes it's it's. it's it's physically. Uh, a few years ago, I had a, a biking accident and I, I broke a couple of ribs. Uh, think Huffy, not Harley, when I say biking accident, all right? How many of, all, of you all have ever had a broken rib? At any of our campuses, just put your hand up if, if you're able to, right? Uh, if you've had a broken rib, then you know it only hurts when you sneeze, cough, laugh, or breathe, right? <laughs> Those are the times. But the toughest part is you, you can't really sleep because when you do finally fall asleep, I don't know if you realize this, but when you're asleep, your body, you move in your sleep. And every time you move, you wake yourself up from the pain. Uh, after I'd had these cracked ribs for a couple of days, I, I, I could not sleep at all. And I, I called my doctor up. He's a friend of mine. I said, hey, I said, man, I, I said, you got to help me. I, I, I can't sleep. He said, well, you got two cracked ribs. What do you expect? I said, well, I'd, I'd like to be able to sleep still. He said, well, let me ask you this. He said, are you, are you lying down in a bed to sleep? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's how I was taught, right? He said, well, the first, first week, he said, you can't do that. He said, in the first week, you have, to, you have to sit upright. He said, That's the only way that you're able to sleep. I said, that's impossible. I said, nobody can sleep sitting upright. But the next weekend, I was about 10 minutes into my sermon, and I looked out at my congregation. <laughs> it's possible. And a lot of people in my church, they have mastered the arts, all right? My recovery took over seven weeks for them to completely heal and for me to return to all of my normal activities. But halfway through, about three weeks into that process, we had Tim Tebow 
come to our church. And that Saturday night, he was at our house, and my wife said to him during dinner, did you tell Tim that you have a couple of broken ribs? I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and Tim said, you have a broken rib? I said, well, actually, I have two broken ribs. He said, that is the most painful injury in the world. And I'm like, come on, brother, lay it on, right? <laughs> so he is saying, that's the most painful injury. I said, have you had some? He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I said, let me ask you this. How long was it before you could return to playing football and, and return to your normal activity? He said, the second half. <laughs> okay, all right. But my wife stuck up for me. She immediately said, well, Dave preached the next week. <laughs> Not exactly quite the same thing, all right? Just a little bit different. But how long was the question I kept asking? How long is it going to be before this thing is healed and I feel back to normal? And just like the psalmist, how long, Lord, how long will it take? How long until I get that promotion? How long until my marriage gives life rather than drains life? How long until my teen stops rebelling? How long until I get to pick out a wedding dress? And faith, when we let it slip away in our lives, can lead to frustration. And that's when we start saying how long because we've changed our source of trust. Did you know that the phrase how long appears 20 times in the Psalms? And David is just being raw and he's being honest during a difficult and lengthy season of his life. So whether it's the future king of Israel or two sisters who were, were close to Jesus, whether it's a church named Journey or whether it's you trying to determine your next step in following God's will, regardless of what camp it fall, we fall into, here's what I know. The delay of the divine can be frustrating to his followers, but the more we realize the character of our timeless eternal God, the better understanding we will have when we are waiting and when we're wounded. Because God so loved the world, but more specifically, God so loved you. Back a couple of months before the COVID pandemic uh, began, I was speaking for a fundraising weekend for a ministry organization. It was being held the entire weekend on a, on a Thursday through a Sunday at a really nice hotel in Pennsylvania. And my wife Beth and I had just finished eating a meal at a restaurant on that first day. And I got talking with some people at, at a table that was, were there. And uh, Beth went walking on out. And I met her at the front of the restaurant where we had come in. And she was talking to uh, one of the waitresses. And she said, Dave, she said, you've got to meet Leah. I said, great. I said, why, why do I need to meet you, Leah? And she said, because I'm from Kenya. And when she said she was from Kenya... I mean, I just melted because I, I love Kenya and I love the Kenyan people. And I've been there several times. And when she said, I'm from Kenya, I said, oh, I said, my, my daughter and I just went on a mission trip there uh, a couple of months ago. I said, it, it's so good to meet you, Leah. And I said, in fact, we, we met a waitress over there in Kenya, and we still stay in touch with her. And for some reason, I went on and said the next line. I said, maybe you know her. Now, that's about the stupidest thing a person could say, all right? And, and what, what bothered me is the fact that, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, like, okay, I just clicked, you know, waitress, waitress, huh? you know, make a little connection there. 
as if there's a, a worldwide Facebook group of waitresses, you know? First he said coffee was too hot, then he said it was too cold. You know, I don't know what they would communicate and say, but as soon as I said it, I, I knew that, that I, I was in trouble. But I was in too deep, and so I, I didn't know what to do. But this is a pet peeve of mine. That's why I was more frustrated with myself, because invariably whenever I go speak at a church, and they say he's from Kentucky, after the service is over, when I'm in the back and I'll be greeting everybody on their way out, someone will come walking up to me and they will say, hey, you said that you're from Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe you know my nephew. <laughs> okay, what's your nephew's name? Bubba. <clears throat> well, we got four million people in Kentucky. We got about one million Bubbas, all right? <laughs> And so, you know, I, I was mad at myself, but I was in so deep, I had to just awkwardly continue to carry this through to completion with, with Leah there. And so I said, here, let, let me get a picture. And I reached in my pocket, I pulled out my phone, and I found a picture of, of this girl named Yvonne, and I just showed the, the picture to, to Leah. And Leah looked at it, and Leah said, Yvonne. I said, what, what, what? She said, Yvonne, we worked at the Radisson Hotel together. I said, really? So I had my wife, I didn't trust her. I had my wife take a picture of us. Here's a picture of Leah and me, all right? I'm, I'm the taller one, okay? <laughs> and I immediately sent that on WhatsApp to Yvonne over in Kenya. One minute later, I got a response. You know what she says? Leah! <laughs> She said, we worked at the same Radisson. And then she went on and she said, we lived in the same neighborhood. And I was just speechless. And on the way back to our hotel room, I asked Siri the current population of Kenya, and she said 47,564,296 people. Our God is a powerful God, and our God is a personal God. And that opened the door. The next day, we had dessert with Leah. And then we invited her to a worship service that I was preaching that Sunday morning. And she came, and she worshiped. And I can still see her sitting in the back, worshiping with my wife. And afterwards, Leah shared with Beth. She said, you know, I can't believe this is happening. She said, I've lived here two months. I don't have any friends. I don't have a car. I can't go to church anywhere. I miss my family so much. God knew how lonely I was, and so he sent you all to me. And Beth said to her, God sees you. God hears you. God knows what you need. Well, back in John 11, remember that we learned that separately, both Mary and Martha each say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Martha says it, Jesus responds by affirming to her that he is the resurrection and the life. But when Mary says the exact same statement, she becomes emotional and she begins crying. And so Jesus responds by crying with her. So they both say the exact same sentence, but Jesus responds differently to each. Why? Because everyone processes life's challenges differently and has different needs. And Martha needed a lesson. And Mary needed love. And I find great comfort in knowing that Jesus knows exactly what you need. 
He knows exactly what you need and what I need. And God will meet you in your waiting room with what you need to process the pain. As we said, he's a powerful and a personal God. And after Jesus wept with Mary, he says, hey, take me to where the grave is. And all the townspeople follow him. They go to the grave. But then Jesus says something unexpected. He says, take away the stone. And everybody says, well, Jesus, I I know you didn't get to be here for the wake, but uh, I understand that you didn't get to pay your last respects, but it's been four days, okay? Now, you might not understand what's going on here, so let me read it to you from the King James Version. John 11, 39, uh, Martha says, Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's what they're meaning by saying four days. Uh, It's been four days. It may sound crass, but that was the setting. How strange for Jesus to suggest something so politically incorrect and so aromatically insensitive. But Jesus knows what he's doing, and he's about to give them a very strong illustration, a more pungent one, if you will. And he has waited four days to prove that Lazarus is dead. And when they rolled the stone away, had there been any doubters, the odor would have quickly convinced them. Now, if you grew up going to church, you you know what happens next. The bronzed Galilean cups his hands around his mouth, and he says in a dramatic voice, Lazarus, come out. And in a matter of seconds, out walks his friend in grave clothes. Notice that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he hadn't said Lazarus and specified that, then every person would have walked out at the command of the Lord of life. And so he says, Lazarus, come out. And everybody's jaws on the ground as they see Lazarus walk out and they witness this miracle. So look at the stages that we experience. From everyone's perspective, there's waiting. From your perspective, you're wounded. But from God's perspective, he's working. He's at work. Even when I don't see it, he's working. And so while Jesus waits and in our heart we feel wounded, he's actually at work. And what appears to be apathy is the unfolding of his plan. And at the heart of why Jesus waited is that he wants people to realize that he is the Messiah. That's at the heart of why he stayed put for two more days. Lateness on closer investigation is actually genuine love. The Apostle Paul explains this concept in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But I want you to notice something. Remember when we talked earlier, back in verse 5, when John just chooses to insert that random statement in the midst of that dialogue? In John eleven five 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why would John place that truthful line in there? Well, that's because he didn't want us to lose sight of the big picture. Because in the very next verse, the sisters are going to say, Jesus, you need to come. And the verse after is going to say, Jesus stayed and didn't come. And so sandwiched in between under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, John interjects, now, hey, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why does he say that? Because he knows you're about to read this next line. And he wants you to make certain that you measure what's taking place against the backdrop of God's love. Because the same person who is involved in in writing this story is involved in writing your story. And he wants us to be aware that he is involved and so we can trust his timing. We can trust his plan. 
And that's what we hold on to. Now think back to that verse. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He put it there as an eternal reminder for you to trust in a God who is in control. And isn't it reassuring to know that when your individual life story takes twists and turns through sickness and tragedy, or when a loved one dies, to still know that Jesus loves you. How reassuring that the hands of God's clock align with his love, not our longings. And so discern God's timing against the backdrop of his love and not on your own limited understanding or knowledge. The most dramatic line in John 11 is Lazarus come out. The most significant line in the chapter is the way that Jesus answered Martha when she said to him, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus lovingly and confidently responds and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Lazarus come out has implications for one person. I am the resurrection and the life has implications for millions and possibly billions of people. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you take your last breath, it will have had implications for you too. And we live in a fallen world, and as a repercussion of sin, there's cancer, there's COVID, there's terrorists that hunt down Americans, there are Americans that hunt down terrorists, there are hurricanes. But just remember that God doesn't cause those things to happen. The Bible says that he is a giver of every good and perfect gift, and Satan has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So in those times when your heart is saying, God, where are you? Please don't forget the backdrop of his love. And today I'm inviting you to trust a God whose unconventional methods unfold according to his timetable and not yours. Because this life isn't some, some Disney movie where in the last 10 minutes everything just neatly comes together and everything is resolved and there's no conflict and we all live happily ever after. No, this is real life. And people die and four days later they're still dead. And so what you need to decide right here and right now is whether or not you believe that God is still God, whether he is in control, and whether you can trust him with your story. You see, he wants to write an incredible story through your life. You just have to be willing to give him the pen and to trust that he loves you and that he's there for you. His backdrop of love changes the way that we look at things. What appears to be your greatest setback might be your greatest setup. And God loves you just as much as he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So I want you to see a paraphrase of John chapter 11, verse five. This, this is a paraphrase of it. And you see that blank there? When we come to that blank, I, I want you to just insert your first name. Let's read it together out loud. Here we go. Every campus, let's read this together out loud. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus and, read it again louder, here we go. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you believe that? Will you trust his plan? Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, the one who spoke the universe into existence. The one who split the sea with a rod 
the one who killed a giant with a pebble. Lord, will you help us to trust in your power? Will you help us to trust in your might? Lord, will you help us to realize that even when it doesn't seem like it, that you are unfolding your plan at just the right time because you're never late and you're never early. So Lord, remind us of the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.